It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by Flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Programme. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner, and uh, we've got a great uh, show in store today. It's Wednesday, which means it's uh, Armchair Politics Day. Always uh, always a uh, good time indeed for those who... Uh, regularly tune in for our weekly roundtable, two hours of commentary and analysis about local, state, and national uh, headlines from the world of politics and current events. We'll be talking uh, with our roundtable regulars today. Flint's premier political pundit, Paul Rosicki, will uh, join us uh, on the left, on the right, Longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. I, I talked to Henry uh, this morning, or, or yeah, I talked to him this morning. He said he'd be running just a tad late, so he'll join us in progress. But we're uh, the roundtable regulars are being joined by a frequent visitor to the show, uh, East Village Magazine consulting editor Janworth Nelson will be, <clears throat> excuse me, joining the roundtable. And um, that's coming up in uh, just about an hour or so, usually the second, well, always the second and third hour of uh, Wednesday's Tom Sumner program features uh, on Wednesday's Armchair Politics. But we always start out with uh, a special guest for the first hour of the show, and that's the case this morning coming up in about four and a half minutes or so. We're going to talk once again with uh, Tom Hartman. Now, Tom is a uh, four-time winner of the Project Censored Award, a New York Times best-selling author of 33 books, maybe more, and uh, considered America's number one progressive talk radio host. Um, his show is syndicated on local for-profit and non-profit stations and broadcast nationwide and worldwide. It is also simulcast on television into nearly 60 million U.S. and Canadian homes. And uh, Tom has been a frequent guest on the show because of a series of books that he, uh, that he writes um, called The Hidden History Of. And uh, most recently... Um, I talked with Tom earlier this week about his newest book, The Hidden History of Big Brother in America. Pretty interesting. And all of his topics are uh, pretty interesting, and he's a pretty interesting guy. 
and he'll be joining us in in just a couple of minutes uh, again that's tom hartman the book is the hidden history of big brother in america and of course coming up tomorrow um we'll uh we'll give a nod to old saint patty tomorrow is saint patrick's day and we're going to kick the show off tomorrow with um Jeff Herman from Lawn Starter. And I don't know, regular listeners may remember Jeff. He's been on the show many times. Lawn Starter um, has, a, has a newsletter, and they do these surveys and studies about um, the best cities for this or the worst cities for that. And um, they've done uh, the most Irish cities in America, and we're going to talk about what they're what their findings were, of course, you know, Boston and New York are, are high on the list. But some of the cities that are um, that go all out for St. Patrick's Day might surprise you. And it might surprise you some of the ones that uh, didn't fare so well. Um, but we'll be talking about that. And uh, also going to bring back an encore from 2018. Um, Patterson and uh, Holst Pullen teamed up. Um, you want to talk about beer fanatics. It's those two. And so I thought it'd be fun for St. Patrick's Day to bring back the conversation they did. They convinced National Geographic to send them on a world tour looking for the best places to find beer. <laughs> and it's called the Atlas of Beer. And uh, we're going to talk about how they pulled that off and, uh, and about some of the great places around the globe for beer and it's uh it, it's pretty fun we'll, we're also going to talk with um an interview i did uh this week and i'm going to share it uh, on tomorrow's show in the third half of our three-hour tour with neurotransformational coach rachel tenenbaum it's a real delightful conversation about how she um, teaches leaders how to diffuse stress catapult collaboration foster innovation retrain their brains and lead others in a process she calls peace which stands for pause embrace acknowledge choose and engage and it's a pretty interesting conversation and i i think you'll probably enjoy it so start your saint patty's day early with us here on the uh, tom sumner program and uh, we wish uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. But we'll we'll get into all that tomorrow. Today, it's Armchair Politics, starting out with uh, radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman talking about um, the hidden history of Big Brother in America. In America. So stay tuned. <music> Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour has been on the show several times since he's uh, such a prolific author. He's a radio show host and uh, New York Times bestseller. One of uh, his projects is the Hidden History series that we talk about from time to time with Tom Hartman. And his newest is the Hidden History of Big Brother in america he joins me by phone hi tom good morning and welcome to the show 
Hey, John, thanks for, jo- for, for joining me. I'm, <laughs> I'm running on uh, muscle memory here. Yeah. The, the, the time zone change. No, thanks for having me on your program. It's, it's really a pleasure and honor. And, and talking to you dueling radio hosts. Yeah. Um, but uh, but let's let's talk about this Big Brother. I, the first time I heard the phrase Big Brother was probably the same for a lot of people reading George Orwell's book, 1984. Um, but you make it sound as though there's there's been a Big Brother by one name or another since long before that. Yeah, I, I start the book out with uh, the two times in American history where we had absolute thought police, you know, government-mandated, uh, not just behavior, but even belief systems. Um, I, I talk about how in New England, the Puritans had taken over the political system so completely that Massachusetts almost didn't join the Union, um, you know, in the in the 1780s. And, and uh, this was, it actually started in the 1600s. Um, and, I, and the example I use is uh, John Greenleaf Whittier's uh, poem, the, uh, the, women, the, the, the Day the Women Came from Dover, or something like, I'm sorry, I don't recall the exact title. But, and the poem is the story of these uh, three young women who, uh, this was a time when the church, you had to pay taxes to the church. If you didn't show up on Sunday morning, you would get, uh, you could be taken and put in the stocks, you could be punished in all kinds of ways. And, um, so this this was the story of these three young Quaker women who uh, defied uh, the, uh, the the chief Protestant pastor in town, the, the pilgrim pastor, whose name, by the way, was Hate Evil Nutter. And <laughs> um, honest to God, and uh, he ordered them. Uh, this was in the dead of winter. There was three three feet of snow on the ground, and he ordered them to be tied by the wrists to the back of a, a horse cart and uh, stripped to the waist and whipped until bloody and then dragged from town to town through about four or five towns in the middle in the dead of winter and finally a constable in the third or fourth town put an end to it but um uh, whittier wrote the uh, uh, one of his more famous poems about this and it's a, it's a true story and so that was you know a, a real big brother moment for us and that was the main reason why ben franklin left when he was 17 years old in the early 16 in the early 1700s was because he did not want to participate in that theocracy, he wanted to have nothing to do with it. And so he just, he, he left and, and went down to, um, uh, uh, what do you call it, Philadelphia, and uh, set up shop and, and uh, never went back. He wrote about that extensively in his autobiography. The second one was, you know, the South. And, of course, if you were black, and I don't mean to minimize it by saying, of course, but I, I think it's fairly obvious to everybody that if you were black in the South from literally the you know 1619 until uh well arguably even until now in some parts of the south but but you know uh, certainly until after the civil war or certainly until after brown v board of the civil rights act you had uh basically no power and you had you know you were under the thumb of of uh, local and regional governments but it was even even more extraordinary than that and most americans are unaware of that part of american history that in the 1840s, the South ceased to become a democracy altogether. The ballot boxes were stuffed. The the only the uh, this was a, a the result of a of a uh, technological revolution, the cotton gin, that was only available to the very wealthy plantation owners because it was so expensive. And one cotton gin could do the work of 50 enslaved people. And so these 
giant plantations wiped out their small competitors and ended up turning the South by the mid-1840s into a complete oligarchy. It had always been a police state, because you had to have a police state to enforce slavery. But um, by the by, the mid-1840s, the only people who were allowed into politics were from the, these oligarchic families. Um, democracy did not exist anymore in the South, and uh, even poor whites were routinely imprisoned or, or tortured or murdered for, for defying the, the political power of the state. And thus, the Civil War was not you know, just the North against the South. It was a Southern um, oligarchic uh, autocracy versus a Northern Democratic Republic. And, of course, the Republic won. So that, that's kind of the, the, the super background history. That's the, the, the real beginning. Well, let's, let's talk about how privacy fits into all this, because in your book you talk about uh, the constitutional right to privacy. And I've heard people argue that, that any constitutional right to privacy is more implied than explicit. Yeah, it's a it's a BS argument, Tom, um, and 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 I, I lay this out in the book. Back in the 1770s and 1780s, when the Constitution was being written in 18, 1787 in Philadelphia, um, the word privacy had a very different meaning than it does today. Um, in fact, I did a digital search of all of the writings, the collected writings of Jefferson, Adams, Hamilton. Um, uh, well, there's about a half a dozen others. De Tocqueville, who was not one of the founders, he was a Frenchman, but you know, I, I had it. Looking for the word privacy, and the only place I could find it anywhere, Thomas Paine, the only place I could find it anywhere was in a reference, a passing reference in Federalist Number 69 by Alexander Hamilton, in which he was complaining about how corrupt New York State was because their governor was chosen, quote, in privacy, end quote, by uh, three cronies. And... Uh, Privacy back then meant something you do in secret that's kind of unsavory. And, you know, we didn't have bathrooms back then. The, in fact, the bathtub didn't move into the bathroom until the advent of, uh, you know, hot water and plumbing, which was really early 20th century. It used to be out in the kitchen by the stove where you could heat the water. And the toilet. Uh, typically was not indoors. It wasn't until the 1860s that Thomas Crapper popularized the, the flush toilet. And so in the 1770s, 1780s, when they were talking about this, um, you know, most outhouses were outside. That's why they were called outhouses. And when you wanted to go to the bathroom, you'd say, excuse me, I need a moment of privacy. And everybody understood exactly what you meant because privacy was a word that had kind of a sleazy connotation. It is toilet functions. And that's why we call outhouses to this day. We call them privies. So uh, it just didn't even occur to the founders to use the word privacy. But they absolutely wrote what we call the right to privacy into the Constitution. It's in the First Amendment, and your right not only to speak, but your right not to speak, It is in, which is echoed in the Fifth Amendment in legal proceedings, your right against self-incrimination. It's in the Third Amendment, and your right not to have the government put soldiers in your home. It's in the Fourth Amendment, multiple places, you know, the, your right to security, which would be that generation's version of our word privacy, security in your home, house, papers and effects, personal effects, and your body. Um, and arguably it's in the Ninth Amendment in, in that the government doesn't claim, you know, it says any other powers revert to the people. But privacy is very, very clearly in the Constitution. It's just that it wasn't litigated in the United States until 1961 in any meaningful way. More with radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman straight ahead. 
everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You are, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Discoveries They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew and discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. Where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Hi, I'm State Representative Sarah Anthony. Our community and communities across the country are seeing a rise in gun violence. Firearm injuries are one of the leading causes of death among children. 
Parents, it is your responsibility to know where your firearm is at all times. First, lock your gun away somewhere safe. Also, make sure that it is disassembled and unloaded. It's up to us to prevent gun violence in our community. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with radio host and best-selling author Tom Hartman straight ahead. As as uh, we were approaching the the twenty-first uh, century, um, it it was being talked about that privacy was going to be one of the big issues facing the Supreme Court. That there were going to be lots of privacy-related cases that would come before the Supreme Court, and I wondered if we would actually see those challenges because at the same time social media was growing in in strength and popularity and in uh, saturation and so on and I, I i sort of get the sense that there's a generation of young people who don't have the same expectation of privacy that you or i might have yeah, I think that's true, and I think it's because they didn't they didn't grow up with um, uh, you know kind of freak out science fiction like 1984. Well, not know? just the freak out science fiction, Tom, but growing up in my house, there were certain subjects that were considered private, and you just didn't talk about them. It was, you know, sex, religion, and politics. Yeah, yeah, and and, and money, and money, money. <laughs> and money. I was going to say, in some households, money too. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. And, um, I, I, you know, we we have a, a different world with regard to, or at least a couple of generations now that have a very different understanding of privacy as a result of this change in business practices that the Internet brought about, particularly in the, in the late 90s. Um, I, I think one of the more important pieces of this is that um, prior to 1996, um, the the internet was a very very different place than it is today, and and this goes back to British common law. Um, there is a a there there's law in the books in every single state that if you Tom were to put a sign out in front of your house on Saturday afternoon saying you know tonight at nine o'clock big party come on in you know everybody welcome and just leave the front door open and you're sitting there in your living room and it's pushing midnight and you got terrible people have just shown up and there's somebody in in one back bedroom who's raping somebody and there's somebody in another back bedroom who's shooting up heroin and there's a guy in the front corner who's selling ammunition you know to, out to people on the street and, and 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 the police come in you would go to jail along with all these criminals right because you hosted them in your house and you didn't do anything about it and you knew what was going on i mean this is literally goes back to 10th century British common law, the whole castle doctrine thing. And it's still the law with regard to your house. But in 1996, for the Telecommunications Act of 1996, in what's called Section 230, Congress, in their infinite wisdom, passed a law saying that's all true, you know, for your house, for your place of business. You know, if a bowling alley lets people commit crimes right out in, in the bowling alley, the owner of the bowling alley can go to jail, or at least the manager. Yes, that's all true, but... If you build a house on the Internet and you let pedophiles and pornographers and drug dealers and terrorists into that house, we're going to cut you a 100% complete pass. You have no liability whatsoever. Now, starting in 1980, um, myself and Nigel Peacock, who was my kind of partner in this enterprise, he's still my, my, my webmaster, 
Nigel lives in uh, outside of London, Tunbridge Wells, actually. Um, we were running forums on CompuServe, and they paid us well. I mean, we had about 25 people working for us. Um, we had to vet every single message that was on our forums. We had the IBM PC forum, the Macintosh forum, the UFO forum, the JFK assassination forum, the parents of kids with ADHD forum. We, we had a, a writer's forum. We had just all, you know, things that we had some interest in. We had, we created all these forums and you had to, we had to double check and make sure that people weren't committing crimes on CompuServe because we and CompuServe could be held responsible for it. And in 1996, Congress blew that up and said, no, no big deal. And the result of that was, you know, in the micro for me and Nigel was that CompuServe stopped paying us. And, and, and so we <laughs> left. And B, that, you know, within a couple of years, Mark Zuckerberg had become the richest man in the world or one of them. And uh, there's a definite, you know, kind of one-to-one correlation between those two things. And there's a growing concern now that this business model of just allowing any kind of old crime to happen in your home on the Internet uh, and hiding behind Section 230 is just not, not going to fly anymore. It's, it's, it's causing too much damage. And, uh, in fact, Josh Hawley, the Republican from Missouri who wants to be president, wrote a book about this, as have I in, in my book. So it's kind of bipartisan. It is, and I, I'm still really troubled by the fact that there are so many people who um, just don't have any concept of personal privacy. You know, they well, they put it, things you know, out on the internet that you know. I used I joked Tom that that. Before Facebook, I got on MySpace so I could spy on my kids because they would put stuff out there that they would never admit to me or or tell me about, and yeah. and and it's it's yeah, and I say that jokingly, but it was half true. Well, um, the Truman Show was supposed to be dystopian, you know, but uh, but now you've got a lot of people i you know i have friends and neighbors or relatives rather on on facebook who who basically think of facebook as you know this is their show and their life is their show and you know which is a fine thing but you've got to be careful what you put out there because it can be used against you or used to uh, exploit you well th- but that raises the the problem and I, and i'm wondering how you think we we should go forward trying to you know, I always talk to you about when we talk about some of these uh, some of these problems that we face and some of the things that you cover in your hidden history books about putting toothpaste back in the tube. If we want to do that with regard to privacy, how do we do it with a large population that doesn't know what privacy is and has no expectation of it? Europe has already started the process. They have uh, this thing called the GDPR, which is the, the, the regulations on privacy with regard to the Internet. And they, the reason why you, when you see websites uh, these days, increasingly they're asking you if you'll accept cookies is because they want to be, they have to be transparent by the laws of the EU. And they want to, you know, they have a website that they want to be viewable by Europeans. Um, the, and that's just the beginning. There's also the right to be forgotten in Europe now. The EU recognizes this. So if you, if there's something about you on the Internet that you don't like, whether it's something as obvious and obnoxious as being a victim of uh, revenge porn 
or as subtle as just, you know, an old story about you that you just disagree with or you don't like or you don't want out there anymore. Uh, you can now, there's a mechanism that the European Union facilitates that you can petition the search engines to take those down, take them off the search results. Um, you know, they, you can't take the sites down because those are, you know, independently owned. But the search engines, you know, if you want to run a search engine, you got to do it along these rules. So uh, the Europeans are way ahead of us in this regard, Tom, and, and I'm hopeful that more American legislators will pay attention to that. I know, you know, how, Ron Wyden certainly. How are, um, how are Europeans, uh, the European public, how are they responding to this? Because when we see um, crackdowns of, of a similar or, well, it's a different nature, but when we see things going on with uh, controls on the Internet in uh, in China and in, in Russia and other places, um, it's, it's generally reported and thought of as being uh, extremely repressive. The... Uh, frankly, I don't know the answer to the question, Tom. Tom, I haven't done any. I haven't lived in I'm Europe just, since the eighties. I, I, I'm just curious how Europe is is responding to, you, you know, some cleaning up of the behavior on those sites. Well, there was a there was a very positive response to it. I mean, this this was the result of a, a, a multi year conversation across the European Union. Um, and, and, you know, several nations, particularly the Scandinavian nations, taking even more draconian steps on their own. So I, my sense of it is that there's broad, very broad support for privacy protections in, in Europe. I was talking with somebody from Canada just recently, and um, we were kind of chuckling. He was talking about um, how Canadians are so impacted by things they see in American media that there were some of the uh, protesters, the the truck drivers, the uh, uh, anti-vaccine protesters uh, in Canada were complaining about not being allowed their their constitutional uh, right to free speech. Right, right. In Canada, yeah. where they have no constitution that says you have the right to free speech, <laughs> well, that was I, I the just, that was the point he was chuckling about because he was yeah. he was a journalist that worked both in the states and in Canada, and and it was just tickling him these Canadians running around saying, "What about my free speech?" Well, you don't have free speech. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and uh, you know, to some extent, you do under some laws, but you're right; it's not. It's it's they don't have it. Well, actually, I don't know. I can't. I'm not a Canadian constitutional authority but but I, I what i would say that i think is telling and there's been some interesting research on this that kind of all vanished when russia invaded ukraine um was the extent to which russian trolls and american trolls working for some of these large right-wing billionaire funded networks were driving the the uh, trucker tantrum up in canada and and now you know this this new one here in the united states that they're trying to do in dc they were driving it. Yeah, yeah. It, <laughs> I it, saw it, what it, you so, did there, Tom. Yeah, no pun intended, but you know, <laughs> from, from social media. Yeah. No, I, I, I was just having a little fun with that because we do a lot of those uh, uh, automotive puns in Michigan. Um, Trying to be punny here, Tom. Yeah, there you go. 
Um, but but what about um, the idea of, of trying to put the uh, toothpaste back in the tube? Do you think, um, are, are we starting to see some of that with the with the uh, woman? I, and, and forgive me, Tom, I, I can't remember her name, but uh, she just recently... Uh, uh, spoke to Congress, uh, to one of the committees at co- in Congress. She's a former uh, vice president at Facebook or something and right. was was really kind of letting the cat out of the bag on how intentional some of these abuses are, that they're not just accidentally built into the system. No, they generate profit. I, I do think that there is... Um, a move toward that. And I think the two big things that need to be done quickly are, number one, at the very least, adopt the uh, European standards for privacy on the Internet. And, no, and, and well, actually, three changes that I suggest. And number two, um, we need to change Section 230 so that regardless of where you build your house, if you invite criminals in, you're, you have some liability. And then number three, um, in the United States uniquely in the world, the company that brings internet into your house has the legal ability to literally watch and listen to and see everything you do. Every single keystroke in real time, every page you visit, how long you linger on particular pictures or headlines or ads. Um, they can read your email, they can read your outgoing and incoming email. Um, absolutely everything you do, your internet service provider, the company that brings internet into your house can do that. Now, that was illegal as recently as uh, three or four years ago, three years ago. And uh, the Internet was regulated under what was titled, uh, called Title II of the Telecommunications Act, which was put into place back in the 20s or 30s to cover telephones. So right now, I, you know, a police agency or a uh, government uh, would need a warrant issued by a judge to listen to your telephone calls. And that was the case to tap into everything you're doing on the Internet in real time as well until Donald Trump put a former Verizon lawyer, uh, Ajit Pai, in charge of the FCC, and Ajit Pai ended net, what we refer to as net neutrality, which basically meant net privacy. And so now your Internet service provider can literally record everything you do 24-7 and sell it to anybody they want. And there's no restrictions on this, and or very few. And uh, it's crazy. We're the only developed country in the world where this is true. You can be walking down the street with your smartphone. If you pick up a phone call off a cell tower, it requires a warrant to listen in on you. But if you're sending or receiving an email or browsing the web on that same smartphone, the, the, the phone company whose cell tower you're using, which is now providing you with your data, they're now your internet service provider in that moment for that purpose. They can, they can track and record literally everything you do. And, in fact, if you turn on the VoIP function in your phone, which is sometimes some phones come with it as the default, which is uh, sometimes they call it Internet Assist, which means that your phone call, the audio is going to be handled over the Internet, then that's no longer covered by Title II either. So they can still, they can then, you know, listen in on your phone calls as well. We need to undo that, too. Well, and that's why some people refer to the Internet as kind of the Wild West, because in other media, and you mentioned cell phones, um, certainly we we saw regulations and restrictions about the use of landline telephone. 
or telecommunications. And, and before that, radio and television, which had restrictions and you had to be licensed to do, you know, to, to start a radio station or a television station. And, and now I, I see two things in the news this, this past week that, that are bothering me. Uh, one in the news and one in my inbox in the in email. I've been getting tons of email trying to get me to sign up on uh, Donald Trump's um, new social media app. But I saw, oh, really? yeah, <laughs> um, and 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 they're really persistent about it. You know, I yeah. I mean I've had my email address out there for people to send me stuff from all kinds of places. You know, just to sure. keep track and and so on. And um, yeah, they're they're really hounding me to join his social media family or whatever. But also, I saw something that was um, just as, if not a little more troubling, and that is the um, that in Florida, some version of um, election police is being established. Yeah. Have yeah, you seen, have you seen this story? Yeah, we. I, oh, yeah. I, in fact, I wrote an op-ed about it last week. We used to call this the Klan. You know, they they would show up at uh, at polling places and and uh, you know make sure only the right people could vote. And then it became the White Citizens Councils in the forties, thirties, forties, and fifties. But it wasn't. And, it wasn't the purpose of the Klan. It was a function of the Klan. It was one of the things the Klans did. Yeah. So it was also this one of the things something... the White Citizens Council did. Um, by by the 1960s, it had been reinvented as Operation Eagle Eye. William Rehnquist made his chops in the Republican Party this way. Operation He used to stand outside polling places in the 1960s. Big bear of a man, Rehnquist. He ended up Supreme Court Chief Justice. Um, but he was like 6'3 and 200 pounds, a big guy. And he used to stand outside polling places where Hispanics and, and Native Americans and black people would show up to vote and just harass the crap out of them until they left or he, he would challenge their vote so that their vote didn't get counted. Um, this spread all across the country in the 60s. And so this voting police that Ron DeSantis is creating in Florida appears to be the most recent incarnation of this lineage. Google Operation Eagle Eye sometime. You'll be amazed. Uh, oh, I will. I, I will in in the wake of this conversation. But um, Tom, it's just it's um, it just seems like anybody can set up their own internet platform, and with absolutely no uh, regulations or restrictions or guidelines. Um, but but that seems to be changing. What can people do to help encourage and and move that change um, to to build that wave up? I think the main thing is to let your elected officials know that internet privacy and um, and doing something about um, the troll problem on the internet. Uh, which would be solved by fixing Section 230, yeah, um, or to a large extent could be, is is a priority of yours. Um, there are a few members of Congress who are really good about this. On the Republican side, Josh Hawley. On the Democratic side, Ron, Ron Wyden of uh, Oregon are probably the top two. And there's a bunch of them in the House as well. Um, and, uh, you know, they need to hear from us. Well, Tom, I... I 
promised I'd, I'd try and get things wrapped up in time for you to do your next uh, interview, but I always like to give you a chance to let people know where they can find out more about what you're doing and, and your work, past, present, and future. Um, do you have a, a website you'd like to share quickly? Sure. My latest project is HartmanReport.com, where I write a daily op-ed. It's free and no ads or anything. It's just I just put it out there. Well, Tom, thanks so much for uh, putting yourself out here today with me and the listeners and, uh, and for all the things you do. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Tom, and thanks for having me on your program. Take care. Okay. Good talking to you. Good talking to you, good Tom. Time. That was uh, Tom Hartman. He is uh, an international uh, radio talk show host and um, also a uh, New York Times bestselling author. He's written... Uh, Oh, I more than 30 books, and uh, his uh, series, uh, The Hidden History of, and, uh, you know, fill in the blank, um, is uh, his newest installment of that is The Hidden History of Big Brother in America, How the Death of Privacy and the Rise of Surveillance Threaten Us and Our Democracy. And with that, we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight up. Summer 
Program.com The Tom Sumner Program.com From the Tom Sumner Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work, and I want to be able to move around. It's a visit with Michelle's mom, the hug her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 14th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMeg. Flint Community Schools. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan. Quiplet Technology. My Community College. It's Pure Michigan. 
friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to tom at tomsumnerprogram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. In these days of the Cold War, the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, has become one of our most valuable tools. However, many Americans have complained that too much of the CIA's activities have been kept secret. Tonight, as a public service, we are happy to be able to present the secret head of the CIA who will answer all of your questions. To maintain the secrecy of his identity, he will be wearing a mask. How do you, how do you do, sir? My name is Jose Jimenez. <laughs> sir, you, you just told your name. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do now? Well, I guess I'll just take off the mask. But first, I'd like to say something. What? Trick or treat. <laughs> sir, as a... Uh, <clears throat> oh, boy, sir. they're going to really kid me about that back at the office. I don't. Sir. First sir. time I had this mask off. Do I need to yeah. shave up here? No, no, no. No. It has been said that spies work for the highest bidder. Would you tell me if that's true? What's it worth to you? <laughs> I, uh, I understand that... Uh, when you're a spy, you use very tricky devices. Is that true? You understand that when you're a spy, you use tricky devices. Well, you see this cigarette that I'm smoking? Uh-huh. You see that? Yes. That's really a gun. <laughs> Come on now, you can't tell me that cigarette is a gun. Oh, yeah? How would you like a shot in the mouth? <laughs> we also, among other things, use very... Cleverly concealed cameras. Oh, really? Sure. See this front tooth here? Yeah. See that? Yes, I that's, see. That's not really a tooth. That's a miniature camera. How does it work? Just press my nose. <laughs> and, and that'll take a picture? No, I just like people to press my nose. <laughs> Actually, uh, my nose is a, a shortwave radio. <laughs> You work the camera by pulling in my left ear. What happens when you pull on your right ear? That turns on my nose. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's absolutely... Um, I think it's running now. <laughs> that's amazing, a camera in your tooth. Uh-huh. I can't even see the little hole. Well, that's because I was in the right half of the class. <laughs> How did you get an idea like that, having a camera in your tooth? Well, I had this film on my teeth. I thought, why let it go to waste? <laughs> Sir, I've heard that they do terrible things to gain information from captured spies. Oh, boy. You heard about that, huh? Yes. 
I'm telling you, they do. Oh, you know, one time they captured me and they took these bamboo things, they put them underneath my fingernails and they lit fire to them. They were burning things under my fingernails. <laughs> and then they came and they hit me on the shoulders very hard right there with the bony part where it really could hurt. <laughs> and then they punched me in the nose and they punched me in the stomach. And then they took these pair of pliers and they squeezed me all over the place. <laughs> and then they started to torture me. Did you talk? No, I was too busy screaming. You must have had some uh, thrilling experiences. Oh, I can think of one now. You know, one time I was on a plane, you know, and I had these foreign documents, and I saw on the same plane, right down just a couple of seats from me, still in first class, Yes. Oh. were a couple of foreign power people, you see? Yes. They were there. Yes. So I took these foreign documents and I went into the laboratory, but when I came out, they caught me with the documents. Well, why didn't you get rid of them? Well, there was a sign that says, don't throw any foreign articles into the laboratory. <laughs> Sir, who would you say was the greatest spy in history? The greatest spy in history was Ludwig van Beethoven. I didn't know Beethoven was a spy. You see how great he was? <laughs> as long as we have you here in front of these microphones, uh, would uh, be all right with you if some of the people here in the audience ask you some questions uh, pertaining to the CIA. Would you answer all of their questions? Yes, I would answer all of them. Oh, that's I'd very good. i very happy. Would you please uh, feel free to ask any questions you have. How can we get a job at the CIA? Do you have any experience as a spy? <laughs> Not yet. Are you married? Yes. You've had experience. <laughs> If you are caught behind enemy lines, all you have to do is give the name, rank, and serial number of every soldier in the United States Army, where they are billeted, and, and how many bullets they have. Otherwise, they'll give you such a clock, you won't even know what Yes. That it's still going on. <laughs> I mean, did you hear anything whistling, duck? Does the CIA have a theme song? Excuse me? Does the CIA have a theme song? Yes. It's over where? <laughs> Here you go. How many copies would you like? Well, sir, in conclusion, uh, as a spy, uh, do you have a code? No, it just sounds like that because I got this radio in my nose. <laughs> this was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
One thing about this world you can't depend on anything The leaders that we follow, they can't even write their name But here we are in America Ain't it just a shame how it goes on and on Our children going hungry, teens are turning to crime And politicians know it's true but they ain't got no time
pilots, get off of my lawn. We're trying to do a radio show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here.